There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this drink. That's what she said. Yeah! One step in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. I have not eaten either of those meals yet today time. Almost the weekend time. The last weekend before it gets real time. Ryan ditching everyone on the staff. Time. That's right. During a big recruiting event, too. Time. You'll be okay. Leaving us to fend for ourselves out here. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the GoVols 24-7 podcast. Got the whole crew in the house today. We will again go clockwise. It's Grant Ramey, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Joining myself, the the one and only Wes Rucker. You are here? Yeah. Wes Callahan. That's just <laughs> oh, wow. Wes Ramey. And now the entire thing has gone off the rails. It took one minute and 11 seconds. Speaking of the weekend, this is the last weekend without some kind of football on your TV. Or football. Until the second weekend of February yeah. or something like that. Hey, Grant, which do you like better, college or the NFL? Oh, Makes people angry when I answer that question. Hey, Wes, which do you like better? For some reason. Soccer or baseball? Because you don't like football very much at all. Uh, still baseball one, soccer two for me, then basketball three. Then football four. You're such a Yankee. We're just going to be silent and let you sit in your shame. We went to a soccer game last week. Grant and I are ready for some preseason NFL football. That's right. You will be watching. We went and saw Liverpool and Dortmund last week. We did. I'm ready for the intensity of the Hall of Fame game next week. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> gonna be big time stuff there. Big time stuff. Who's playing in the Hall of Fame game? Bears Ravens. Oh. The Bears still have a team? Even though Roquan Smith hasn't signed yet. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Roquan's gonna sign. T Bray, right? Isn't Tyler Bray with the Bears now? T Bray's a bear. He threw a pick and practice the other day. Is he going to be the number two? <laughs> uh, Mike Lennon's going to be the number two. Probably number three. Mike oh, Lennon got right. cut. Uh, oh, okay. He's, he, he's going to have a nice career being a number three NFL quarterback. He took 40 mil checks. and went home. Who's, who's going to be number two? I don't know. I had that discussion right. with someone recently that Tyler Bray is kind of living the dream. Like He has had yes. – he, he went undrafted, but he now got a nice contract. You hold a clipboard. Yep. You get paid like a brain surgeon. Yeah. Literally, like the – the rookie minimum is like a brain surgeon. But he's making he's making more than a million now, isn't he? I think he's getting a couple million a year. You're not getting hit in the head because you're just running the scout team. Nobody's touching the quarterback. Stress-free. Until you have to maybe go in in a game. I was thinking about it. This summer made me think about what, what the probably like the most enjoyable or easiest sports job in the world. It's got to be the number three goalkeeper on those World Cup teams. Because they have to take three because you can only set the lineup once for, like, the entire tournament. So you have to take three keepers. And if you're the third keeper, you're never doing anything. Even if the other guy gets hurt, you're still just going into a game as the backup. You're getting to enjoy everything that's awesome about the greatest tournament in the world, and you don't have to, like, break a sweat, really. 
I was wrong. Tyler Bray's getting paid like eight hundred thousand this year, but hey, it's still a lot hey, of that's money. To, to most never, people, that's a lot of money to never take a snap. That's a I'll take that deal. Yeah, he, uh, that's a it's like an offensive line coaching at Tennessee kind of money right there. That's pretty nice. In case you missed yesterday's podcast, what's wrong with you? You should listen to them in order. Don't be a psycho. But just in case. Also, I thought the offensive one was pretty good. Yeah, just in case you listen to this one before the previous one. You could do it this week because uh, these are not chronological. Thursday's episode. Chronological. Chronological. Uh, we talked about Tennessee's offense. Today, we will talk about Tennessee's defense. So if you want to listen to this one first uh, and then – the offense, you can go back and do that. But most weeks, don't listen to Fridays before the other yeah. one in the week. Don't be, don't be a psycho. Defense first. Defense wins championships. Yeah. You have to right? listen to Ryan list everyone on the offense <coughs> one by one. That like a phone, yeah. reading a phone. You book. can. You, fortunately, though, you can fast forward through that part. Who could be good? Anderson. You, know, you can hear. West, you can hear West mention every quarterback that's going to play. <laughs> that's played at Tennessee in the last fifteen years. <laughs> I I do not like. And there were sh- and there were shameless self plugs by both of you guys, Grant oh. and I are over here. Just... I'm gonna I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this out here right now. I do not like Grant's attitude right now, and Patrick, I think Grant's attitude is having an effect you. on you. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like where this is heading. We are the alphas of GoVols twenty four seven. Self uh, self anointed alphas. Uh, I think the proof. That's is what in the alphas pudding. do. Yeah, I mean they <laughs> self anoint. Alpha alpha. I mean also if, the proof is in the pudding, Grant. I mean I think we've we've established our presence. I would like to know when that happened. Uh, February 1st, 1988, <laughs> around 8 a.m. <laughs> it was a rainy day in February. Rainy day. Let's up, up in the beautiful second-best Tri-City in Kingsport. Speaking of things that weren't the best, uh, Tennessee's defense was um, maybe not as bad as Tennessee's offense last season. It's kind of hard to to tell. I, I would say the defense was, was better than the offense, but but neither one was – was very good, and so Tennessee has uh, cleaned house completely. Uh, there is a new head coach. Maybe you've heard of that, Jeremy Pruitt. He's a uh, has a country accent. Doesn't know what asparagus is. Doesn't have hair, um, but is fun to talk to. Says things like "forward." He'll fight you on that. He knows what asparagus moving is. forward. Forward. High school. Involved. High school. High school. Schedule. High school. Schedule. It's like Gary Rankin over there, the uh, Tennessee high school football coach. Shout out. Uh, so he is there, and he is a, a bit of a defensive guru. He's been all over uh, in his career. He's won national championships at a couple different places. Uh, he's been to Alabama, Florida State, and Georgia, a guy who has had a, quite the ascension from being just a high school coach a dozen years ago. I Kindergarten I, teacher, as he said. I hadn't heard that he worked at Georgia. Did you hear about that? No, I haven't heard about that. Aaron Murray. Apparently he got along with everyone. Yeah, yeah, he was really – yeah, basically they have a statue of him right now. Like, they're getting ready to build it. I like how all this stuff, like, former players are only talking about what happened now. Yeah. Because it's not like Pruitt, you know, went to Alabama and won a title. And multiple players who did (laughs) not play for him there. So that's kind of like – It's it's just like how all the truth, behind-the-scenes truth about Butch Jones has come out. Yeah, but three years later. Or or you could have listened to uh, to Go Balls 24-7 at the time about Butch Jones, and you would not have been led astray. Uh, You're not wrong. But, no, like there was uh, something else I read this week about – I don't know where it was from, but somebody talked to like a former – a bunch of anonymous former players Mm. about – Rick and uh, and Pruitt getting mad at each other during a spring practice when there was a fight. Well, so we've established that so. Tennessee's new head coach is a bit of a meanie, you could say. Oh, no. He, he, he can yell and say some very unchristian words at times, allegedly. This is something that, that he does. 
But uh, he's a guy who's gotten results everywhere he's been on defense, and he will he has put together a staff that is very, very experienced. And, and he went and got some SEC heavy hitters on this staff. He went and got Kevin Shear down there from Georgia. Uh, he went and got Chris Rumpf, who's been all over the place. He got Tracy Rocker, who's been all over the place. Uh, brought back former Tennessee star, first-round pick, uh, Terry Fair, and also former Florida State defensive coordinator, guy who was Florida State's defensive coordinator last season, uh, Charles Kelly. So he has brought in a staff of guys that uh, there's some questions on the offensive staff because, you know, that that's not Pruitt's side of the ball, and maybe those guys have good resumes but don't have the resumes that these defensive coaches do. So these guys, I would anticipate, despite some of these holes that we're talking about here, I think it's fair to say that the pressure is a lot higher on this defense coming into the season because of uh, because of how much because of Pruitt's background because of how much that staff cost. I think that there are will be people who are expecting not greatness but a good solid rebound season from this defense. Well, I think people are expecting people, it. whether it's yeah, fair or pe- not is another matter. People might expect I think improvement and just be interested in seeing if if scheme can overcome personnel. But I think people have to know going into the season, this this team's still got some personnel limitations, especially on this side of the ball. On offense, they've got some wild cards, at least. On defense, they've got a lot of either unproven or guys who've underachieved in some cases in the past. That And in some cases, just outright question marks like a cornerback. So it's still a, a defense with a lot of issues, potentially. Ignoring the numbers completely, this needs to be a defense that is – it's not going to be an elite defense. It needs it, to be bend but don't break. It I needs think. to be good enough to keep Tennessee in games. Yeah. Uh, and, and the example I'm going to point to is Will Muschamp. is another good defensive coach. If you're a good defensive coach, you're a good defensive coach. You can get results. That their 2016 team. I don't know what. Well, I don't even know what they were ranked in any of the, the statistical categories. But it's always seemed like they kept South Carolina pretty much in games. They didn't get run off the field in any yep. games other than maybe the Clemson game. Yep. And Clemson, I don't know if you remember, won the national title that season, had Deshaun Watson. So that's okay. But their he, talent, he, he their was talent level wasn't very good either. And he managed to get results out of it. Now, can Pruitt do the same thing? Probably he's a good defensive coach. And they need and and, and I think you I, I think this defense, they're not gonna be able to just force a bunch of three and outs. They're gonna have to be able to generate turnovers and get off the field on third down and force field goals in the red zone. That's gonna have to be how they keep Tennessee competitive in games, especially the games where they're gonna be overmatched in terms of talent and we just we just wrote about this week where espn and david hale had a nice story looking at turnovers kind of the theory behind what causes turnovers is it all just luck in some ways you know alabama was among the national leaders over the past several years but the the story makes the argument that part of the reason for that might be because alabama's ahead a lot of the time so teams that are down are more likely to turn the ball over but the story also points out that Jeremy Pruitt sort of is an outlier when it comes to forcing turnovers Uh, washington led the country the last five years in turnovers, forcing like one, one thirty-two, something like that, one thirty-six. But if you combine Jeremy Pruitt's last five defenses as a defensive coordinator, he was a coordinator for five years. If you combine those teams, they had one hundred thirty-nine takeaways in the last five years. So he's done it well everywhere he's been. If this defense can do that, it becomes a much more interesting defense. Here, here's my biggest. I don't want to say it's a concern because it's not a concern. It's a, to me, it's an intriguing storyline to follow. Is that there are basically two ways to be good on defense. You can either bend and don't break, or you can force a lot of turnovers. It's the same way in a basketball defense. You can either force teams to take tough shots and rebound well, or you can force a lot of turnovers, get out in transition, and make things happen. Tennessee looks on paper, 
and again, games aren't played on paper, but this team on paper looks like a team that is would be better suited to kind of bend and don't break. But that flies in the face of everything Jeremy Pruitt believes in as a football coach. He brings heat. He likes to put you in a tough situation. Uh, he likes to force you to make plays and not in a, in a small window. So th- those two things, they're not a great mix necessarily, and, unless this Tennessee defense was coached so poorly that there is more there than we think there is. I still – don't do not believe Bob Shoup is an idiot. I, I'm never no. going to say I think he's a good football coach. But you could a, say he was a bad fit. Bad fit, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like uh, the guy, um, you know, Manny Diaz or whatever. When he was at uh, Diaz, when he was at Texas, he was good everywhere he was before Texas. Everywhere after Texas, not very good when he was at Texas. So that is very possible. But that to me is the most intriguing thing, and I probably should write a column on this. Is that Tennessee does not seem suited for the kind of mentality Pruitt has on defense to have success this season. And I think that's going to be really interesting to follow. I mean, it gets back to the personnel limitations that Ryan mentioned. You, you can only do what you have in front of you. you. You can only work with the guys you have on the field, the, your 11 best guys. And like Ryan mentioned, the, those turnovers, forcing turnovers, could be, a, uh, could be from playing ahead so much where other teams are more aggressive and trying to score points and trying to keep up with you and get back in games. Tennessee's probably not going to face a lot of ultra-aggressive offenses this year, at least in terms of how they're game-planning them, because Tennessee people aren't going to look at Tennessee and think they're the best team on Tennessee's, or on their schedule. Uh, so Ben, don't break, like Patrick said, keep you in games that you should be in. Uh, maybe not Auburn, maybe not Alabama, maybe not the really good teams that you're facing, but just keep you in the games you're in. Uh, but I think the, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt, when he's hired, he's one of the premier defensive minds in the game. I think the crazy numbers that he produced uh, are going to work against him because people are going to expect that from day one. I, I don't think those should be the expectations. Just show progress from last season, be a better defense from last season, uh, and show something that, that gets people excited for the future. And and I know we've got to get to some of the specifics of the defense quickly, but one of the things that I think will be interesting about watching this defense, it's kind of like with the offense because you have a first-time head coach, but in this case, especially because you have a first-time head coach with a defensive background, how much – will Jeremy Pruitt be calling the shots? I think he has said publicly, has he not, guys, that Kevin Shearer will be calling the defense when he was asked point blank about that. But do we believe that will be the case at all times? Just like Butch Jones said, he was going to let the offensive yeah. coaches handle the offense. I mean, it's a fair – everyone assumes this is going to be Jeremy Pruitt's defense. So that's And that's one of the reasons it's probably okay that Kevin Shearer is a first-time defensive coordinator at this high level. So, you know, is Pruitt calling the shots some of the time, all the time? How much he he's been hands on in practice? Obviously, with the secondary, you'd, you'd think he was a secondary coach just watching them in practice because he's with that group pretty much all the time that we see. So, is he going to be that involved with the defense at all times? And if he is, you know how much how much control will Kevin Scherer have? How much will it still be Jeremy Pruitt as defensive coordinator? That's all going to be fascinating to see this season. We talked about this a little bit with the offense, and we need to do the same thing here with the defense. Who are some newcomers? that could jump into the mix and and guys who, you know, we saw what a lot of these guys can do on defense. We've seen them play the game anyway. We've seen them play in practice. We've seen them play more importantly in games, Uh, maybe not in this system as much, but we've seen them go out there and play. Who are some newcomers to the mix this season who are guys 
that could step in here immediately and start changing some things. Well, I think you got to start with the secondary because I think there's very little that's settled there going into into preseason camp, and yep. so it's it's wide open. I don't care if you're a freshman, sophomore, JUCO transfer, senior, unless your name's not Nigel Warrior, you have something at stake this this camp. And that's not to say that Warrior doesn't have anything at stake, but he's he's going to start. We know he's going to be back there. Um, but there are you know. Starting cornerback roles, nickel, dime roles, the other safety next to Warrior. I think all that is up for grabs. And I don't think anybody separated themselves from the spring. Plus, you got some new guys that have already maybe turned some heads in some of the seven on seven work. And uh, some of those newcomers, like Alante Taylor, who's going to stick on defense. Uh, Bryce Thompson, a guy they added late, was a four star athlete. Uh, well, it looks like Taylor will stick on defense. Didn't they technically list him as a DB yeah, receiver? Yeah, but he lists himself as a, as yeah. a, as a cornerback. So. Uh, but I, I think that that seem that sounds like that's what he's going to be, unless he just doesn't have a very good camp on yeah. on defense. But um, those two guys could could make some waves in, in the secondary. Trayvon Flowers is a guy at safety that the staff is really high on. Now safety is a different position because there's a lot of mental responsibilities in terms of communicating the yeah. defense, and it's a hard position for a freshman to come in and play unless you're like Eric Berry and Nigel Warrior on an athletic level is not Eric Berry. Uh, he's he's pretty athletic athletically gifted, but yes. it's he, he was not ready to play safety his first year, and now that was in a different defense. It was complex, all that stuff, yada yada yada. But it's for Flowers, it's just a tough position for for him to come in and play. And one year of high school football too. And, yeah, in one year of high school football, he's a guy to me that you know maybe plays on special teams, spends a year learning the defense, and then when you lose Mike Abernathy and Todd Kelly, and probably Nigel Warrior too next year, he's a guy that you could you can plug in there and, and have him ready to go. But uh, Again, we got to see all these guys in camp. Brandon Davis is a guy that that you know needs to get a little bit bigger at cornerback, but could be a factor. And and they got some returning guys that you know, you know the 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 three that left the spring in the, on the first team were all returning guys. So can they keep that up? I think you could probably spit out any combination of starting cornerbacks at the two outside spots and the nickel spot, and I don't think I'd be surprised. I think that's how wide open it is. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that those 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 spots yeah. are. Just, I mean, you can, Bryce Thompson, the guy could step in and, and, and play, you know, it's, a lot. Of I stuff. didn't quite name everybody on the roster. Yeah. I just named everybody in the secondary. Good job, Ryan. It's, <laughs> it's, no, Ryan named Patrick. everybody on the roster. It's it's a really the, – the cornerback battle is going to be so interesting because there are so many bodies there, and none of them really are that proven. I mean, you've got guys like Sean Schamberger that have played. Marquell Osborne has played. But then you, I mean, they threw everything they had at the secondary this spring. Carlin fills a me, Malik Gray, and then you throw in those newcomers, Alante Taylor and, um, and and Bryce Thompson, even Brandon Davis, Kenneth George Jr. I think he's raw, but we'll see. You know, but all those guys you throw them in there. Baylin Buchanan's an experienced guy that's that's one of the veterans now in that at that position. They're going to be some pretty good players. Or and who's guys. apparently had a pretty good summer yeah. from from everything I've heard that mm-hmm. Bailey Buchanan's had a pretty good offseason. So. And 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 all those guys, you throw them together, there's going to be someone that we thought this spring might be a major factor who's going to be probably not even in the too deep at corner because they've now thrown so many options at that position. So what, what happens there is going to be really interesting. Here, here's more of a – it's a question, not a point. Since Pruitt coaches secondary, those are his guys, are you more prone – to play newcomers, new faces, the guys that you brought in, because those are the guys you brought in. You might be, or you just you you play with the guy you trust the most. That gives you the best chance to win. I, I th- think the latter, but yeah, I think he's such but, a competitive. But the guy. latter could include yeah. newcomers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't think I, I'll put it this way. I don't think he's the kind of guy who would hesitate to throw a freshman out there 
and be like, all right, he's in the secondary. I can coach him up. We need help there. The, the I, I can I can help these guys get ready. I think that's I think he's he's likely to he'd be much more prone to to make a change there than he would at other places. I, I think the thing though that in terms of that dichotomy of do you play the guys that you brought in is that the gap between it's not like you have guys that have been in the same program for three years going up against these newcomers. It's True. guys that have, you have only been in this in this version of the program since January. So it's not like these guys have had. It's not like these juniors and sophomores have had two or three years playing in the same system. As Pruitt said a couple times this spring, he's like he's got a team of full of freshmen. And so everybody's kind of jumbled together in terms of how long and how familiar they are with what Tennessee wants to do schematically. So you don't have to worry about that now. And, you know, that, that's not something that's going to be a factor. I shouldn't say you have to worry about it. But that's not something that's going to be a factor. And so that's why I think you could see a lot of newcomers play on both sides of the ball. I think the, the when I look at the – I think there's no question – that Alante Taylor would be the co-number one on my list of guys that are probably the newcomers who are going to play a lot, make an impact. The other one I see is Emmett Gooden because Tennessee has a desperate need for big guys, uh, true big guys there on the defensive line, and Gooden is truly a big guy who can sit there at the nose and and take up some space and do some things, big, strong kid. Uh, I, I think he is a guy who will play a lot, if not start immediately. He's also a celebrity. He was on Netflix. That's true. <laughs> he 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 was on Netflix. Last chance you. He had Netflix. You do you still you still have Netflix? That's it. Yep, I got it. You haven't it hasn't changed in the past like two weeks since nope. we talked about this last. Still got it. So I think he's a guy who, because of Tennessee's situation up front, and I think he's just a pretty good player. I think he's a good fit for what they want to do. I I I think he is uh I still don't think he's they list him at 305. That's what he was listed as a recruit. I don't believe that for a second. He's a big dude. Uh, he's a guy who I think could do some things. How, how big do you think he is? I don't know. I think he's, he's listed got, at 306 for there. And it's pretty big. I mean, I, for, for, for 6'4, though, for his frame, it looked to me like he was more 315 or so. But that's just, you know. We'll, we'll see. I, I think he's at least 300 pounds, though. And that's, yeah, like you said, that's a guy who's likely to play. I think if you're looking for one most likely to play, it's Emmett Gooden. I think because of. The situation at corner, the most intriguing to me, because Gooden is almost a known, not a known commodity, but we know he's got to yeah. be a factor for this team. The more intriguing ones to me are Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor. Thompson in particular is a huge wild card to me because he's such a good athlete. Can he look? Can he get the corner position down early enough to help them there? Does he only factor in on maybe special teams this year? You know, where where does he help? He, he's an interesting addition to this team who has. So much upside that I'm really interested in seeing what he can do. Jordan Allen also is an intriguing guy to me because he can, he can I think get after the passer and he's really really fast off might, the edge. Might need more time based on what we saw this spring. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Oh, I'm talking situational. Yeah. But but if but he's a th- you got to remember he's like Jameer Johnson, a three year JUCO guy. He's got three years left to play. So even if he's not a major factor this year, he's got time to develop. As long as he's a major factor by next year, you're okay there. But, yeah, if they can get anything from him, they'll certainly take it because they need pass rush help. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and segue into that since we uh, just spoke about Jordan Allen. We'll, we'll dance around a little bit here with some of these position battles. But the outside linebackers for Tennessee, and, again, it, it's almost like I, don't, I hate when people put the word edge in a story like as a, as a position. But with some of these guys, I, I, don't, I don't know how you get around it unless you want to put LB slash D end because they're going to be outside linebackers in the base defense, which is now a 3-4. However, you spend most of the time in nickel these days, and, and when you're nickel and dime, you're going to have a four-man front. For, for so what those guys are DNs. For what it's worth, uh, pro football focus has interior defensive linemen and edge defensive linemen. That's how they classify it. 
I think that's that's uh, probably fair. I like that. I mean, I I just I've to me, I guess I'm too old school with you know. You want to put a guy. What what position is he? So and that, and that's not how it is in the modern game. But with those guys, uh, I think for the most part, whether he's a true star or not, we'll see. But I think we all believe Daryl Taylor is a good football player, a guy who can cause some problems off the edge, and a guy who kind of has that that good uh, alpha mentality that you need, a guy who is not afraid to – Shut up, me. Grant and I can relate. He, he's a guy who's not afraid to go in there and mix it up a little bit, and a guy who gives you an edge, gives you a little bit of teeth defensively. So uh, I think he. we all know at least he's a pretty good player, uh, maybe a great player, maybe a really good player, but at least a, at least a good solid player. Who other than him does Tennessee have that, that looks like uh, can, can be a factor there and can make some plays? Who wants to say Kongbo? Uh, I'm not. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Believe it when I see it. I, I do think he's interesting because I think he can help there maybe bet more than uh, he could yeah. have at defensive end. I think he's a better pass rusher than yeah. he has a run guy. Yeah, and, and numbers bear that out for sure. But, yeah, can he – I mean, and how big is he? We saw him listed on the official roster at, what, 270 or something like that? He's slimmed down about yeah. – uh, I think he's down to like 254. Is he really that thin? So if he's that yeah. thin, then maybe he's got a shot because that's the biggest thing is he needed to get a step quicker. His I, I didn't think his first step at defensive end last year was very good. No, it wasn't. So he needs to get a lot better in that area if he's going to help as a pass rusher. But he can, he's got some tools there that can work at that position, so we'll see how it works out. But I think he's got a, at least a better chance of contributing there in, in, a, in a major way than he did at defensive end where I thought he was just sort of a guy. I know one guy who won't be contributing. That's Ryan Thaxton, who was dismissed, we should mention. Yep. I think DeAndre Johnson is kind of the That was my point, but go ahead. I think that's I think he's probably the favorite at that other position going into camp if I had to guess. Just based on what we saw in the spring, based on not knowing what Kongbo can give them or which position he'll be working at. I think DeAndre Johnson's one that's going to factor in in a big way and can Jordan Allen like we said, you know, challenge him or, or you know, we don't know exactly which of those outside spots Allen's work, working at the most going into camp. So Johnson looks like the guy at that Sam position opposite the Jack that's most likely to to have the first crack at that job, and I think he's shown some some potential there. So we'll see what he can do. But he's he's a big big variable at that position. Yeah, Kongbo was listed at two fifty four, and it's interesting. Uh, it seems like a lot of the former DNs on the roster have have really trimmed down this summer. When you look at how much weight they've kind of uh, added or lost, uh, Kongbo was down to ten down ten pounds. Taylor's down seven. DeAndre Johnson, remember, he came in, was kind of a little undersized, a little light, got up to close to 260. He's back down to 244. Mm-hmm. And then you got the two guys, Austin Smith and Jordan Allen, have actually gained weight because they were more uh, – Allen obviously was coming from I'm not college. giving up on Austin Smith yet. I'm not doing No, he's, he's very S- much a factor, Smith was well, Smith was a 4-3 outside linebacker last year, and he's he's up to 248. We almost forty six, and so he had to. You know, he got bigger. I neglected to mention him, but he might be the biggest challenger to DeAndre Johnson at that other position. So I think that those two are certainly the ones to watch going into camp, along with maybe Jordan Allen. Got to stay healthy. It's always a question with Austin. I thought it was interesting. uh, Cole Kubelik, who is a a, he's an SEC Network analyst who tweets out a lot of offensive line, defensive line film. Yes, played at Auburn because he played at Auburn. He played the offensive line, which is helpful because most people don't understand line scrimmage. Yes. Uh, he's he's the guy that's got the film from behind the line that, that he looks at, and he, he he showed a clip of Kyle Phillips getting kind of just slapped to the ground by one of Alabama's tackles. I think it was Jonah Williams, and somebody tweeted at him, and and he responded that you know I saw some stuff from Congo that makes me think he has a chance, 
And so that's that's the thing. That's like the that's like summing up Jonathan Congo's Tennessee career. Is that he has a chance to be really good? Yeah. I've is seen this going to be the year? I've seen some things. It's also like I watched him walking down the street, and I thought, "Wow, you look like you could rip someone's face off." You're probably you've probably got some potential in there, but it's just a matter of can can they get it out of him? Can he figure out what kind I, of a player he is? That that's. When I when I think about Combo, I think a little bit about Jarnell Stokes when he played basketball at Tennessee. It's a guy who people look at him and see what he can be, but he doesn't know what he is when he looks at himself. He has to he has a, he has a trouble kind of facing up to what his strengths are as a player and playing to those strengths. And I think until he does that or gets coached to do that, I don't think he's ever going to be as good as he could be. Just a thought. I mean, I'll. I won't go down the list and name everybody like Ryan would. <laughs> Please do. I'll be a man of the people and say Kong, but I mean, because you just you he looks too much the part. He's too big. He's too freakishly athletic. Mm-hmm. He's too quick. It's his last chance hey, too. I think and he's yes, the the clock is ticking, and your 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 last year or whatever is getting coached by one of the best defensive minds in college football. If anybody could get it out of him, I know uh, Jeremy Pruitt's not his position coach. But you would think it's somebody that has the defensive chops that Jeremy Pruitt has on his resume. There's three senior defenders on this defensive front that were really highly touted prospects. Mm-hmm. And I think Kongbo, I'll say he's the most likely to have sort of that senior year renaissance more than Kyle Phillips and Shy Tuttle. Oh, wow. I worry about Tuttle because of his injury past. I worry about Phillips because, again, his injury past. Also, he's just too nice. He, he, he's like, if you gave him, like, Derek Barnett's mentality, I he think he'd be a, a really... He's such a nice He's kid. too nice, and that's a compliment. I'm saying it helps him. It's, he's going to be successful in whatever he does uh, when his career is over. So you're just saying he's not going to play football? For, for he fun? might be really good this year, too. I think, you know, he's been the guy that Pruitt has, has lavished a lot with praise. So he's done everything yeah. they've wanted. Or Said he's been basically. sort of an, an example of how... He wouldn't, he wouldn't show up 25 minutes late to record a podcast. 28 minutes late. I was 28, 28 minutes, minutes late. late. Uh, well, Ryan was 25 minutes f- late, so. f- Phillips yeah, is, Ryan beat you. How 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 like you know what? How does that feel? Blind squirrels, they Fair find enough. acorns every now and then. Fair but I, you know, I think Congo has maybe the best chance because he has the most upside of that of that group. He doesn't have the injury history. He's just not been able to put it together on the field. And yeah. as Grant said, if there's a staff that can get that out of of either of those three guys, it's probably this one because of their their chops defensively. And with both of those kids, with with, with Phillips and with Tuttle. You just for different reasons, I think, with each one. But you just, God, you want both of them to go out there and have a nice senior season because you do. because Phillips is just such a really really nice kid uh, and will be a success in whatever he does, football or not football. And then you've got Tuttle, who has had to overcome two just devastating, devastating injuries, and he may not be the same player he was before, but I still think he can be a good player. And you just want it's a, it'd be a real nice feel good story for him to get out there and do some good well, things. And on the D line, we've seen this before. Obviously, South and Siri is a whole other issue, but we've seen the transition to a three four defense can be challenging. It starts at the defensive line. I do think this this team is better equipped personnel wise to make that transition because of Tuttle, because Phillips is a more natural fit at defensive end, probably in a three four in some ways than he was in a four three, just with the, kind of the way he's evolved throughout his career. Yeah. And then Emmett Gooden, guys like that certainly help. So. They've got some pieces there that, that make it fit a little bit better, but it's still a, a different defense that they're not used to playing in, and how much it, will that transition challenge this team overall, but especially the defensive line to tie up blockers, essentially, and free up those linebackers to actually make plays. And the, we have to point out, and we haven't pointed this out yet, is 
Tennessee is switching to a 3-4, if they play 3-4 50% of the time next season, that might be a high estimate. Right. Because People, they're going to be very multiple, and they're going to be in the nickel a lot. Just we saw a lot of nickel this spring. You're going to continue to see like that. They, they might not play three four at all against West Virginia because West Virginia is going to have four to five four to five receivers out there. You'll spread see out. you'll see nickel and dime. In that yeah, game. you'll see nickel and dime. A lot of four down, in which case, um, you know they they might have one of these outside linebackers as 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 a de facto defensive end, uh, or they might have two. They might have just two down linemen and have two defensive ends, just depending on the situation. So, um, that's just. That's just how this defense is going to be. Every time I've watched Alabama, if a replay of their game from last year is on, I've tried to pay more attention to it than maybe I otherwise would just because, you yeah. know, kind of see, you know, what, what Tennessee might do. Because you're doing your job like and, a responsible yes. beat writer. And and every time I watch it, I'm just like, they're doing a lot. They have a lot of different looks. It's a 3-4 in name only. Yes, in name only. And, and Pruitt has downplayed it, too. He said, that nah, it's, it's overrated. You guys talk about it too much. It's become and – and it became even more versatile when offenses start spreading the field so much and giving Bama problems. That's what really took it to an even another level and that's, with the versatility. Yeah. And, and I think we did uh, – one of our national guys did something sort of looking at some of the personnel that Kirby Smart had at Alabama in 2009. You know, we had Terrence Cody when he had maybe, I think, was it Rolando McLean maybe that, maybe a little bit later. Or no, it was uh, Hightower. It was Dante Hightower. Hightower, yeah. Um, and, you know, Cody was this mountain of a dude, the nose tackle that was, a you know, supposed to be like an immovable object. And Dante Hightower was like 240 pounds. Now you don't do that. This, these defenses now, they have to be versatile because you want guys that you don't have to take off the field. You don't, yep. you don't have to do a lot of sub, subbing uh, to, to handle some of these offenses that are more of tempo. So Yeah, they want four linebackers. Who that can are, play all of them. Who are very similar in size and can do uh, can play a lot of those positions. And they want their second in the secondary. They want safeties who can cover like corners, but yep. they also want corners who can, uh, especially their inside nickel and dime guys that are a little bit closer to the to line of scrimmage and closer to the ball to be able to play the run like their safeties and be able to tackle or yeah. if you can't hit big, at least get the guy on the ground. You know, yeah, that, or time up for everybody else to get there. Yeah, that that's 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 important, but. You know, one thing that I think before we get into some of these things about how good we think this defense can be or, or how, how much could it struggle, we'll get into all that before we get out of here. But but the last thing in terms of just the position battles is, is I think we all know one of the most fascinating storylines for Tennessee in this offseason was the situation with Darren Kirkland Jr., a guy who stepped in at Tennessee, was a starter, as a true freshman, uh, has been considered Tennessee's uh, number one middle linebacker when available uh, the past few years, but he's been hurt a few times. He said he was going to leave the program as a graduate transfer to play his final two seasons of eligibility somewhere else, and then he got talked into coming back. And I think when, when he came back, a lot of people, the natural instinct was to pencil him in as one of the two inside linebacker starters. But then you go back and think about it, and I think with the rise of Corte Sapp into being the kind of player he can be there in, at the inside, combined with – uh, the guy that Batuli, we, we all we all think he can be. Guys, it's not really a given that Kirkland's going to start, is it? Not to me. I I think he's at best third best linebacker on the roster. Now he, I, I expect him to have some rust. I think he's. I think the layoff of having really not played football, yeah, since the Music City Bowl, almost over a year and a half, not in a live game. I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to worry about, especially off the bat. Now I know that. The Batuli missed some time in the spring too, but he didn't miss as much, and he played last year. Um, I just, I, I think Kirkland's gonna have a lot of rust. And he, he's been healthy for three games in the past two years. Exactly. I mean, the first two games of of last season or two seasons ago, 
and then the Music City Bowl. Yeah, and I just I, I think that you know the staff has to see him in in a team setting before they can determine how good he's going to be. I, th- I think you read the writing on the wall. I mean, if if you try to transfer, basically yeah. announce you're transferring, uh, you're not transferring when you're the number one guy on the depth chart. And he very well may end up starting and, and playing a ton and, and being a uh, a guy that if, uh, impacts this defense a lot. But at least right now or, or at the time, I guess, what was that, a couple months ago when he was uh, announcing his transfer and before he decided to come back, you're, who knows how much you're factoring into their plans. If if, if that's the writing you're, you you see on the wall, you think it's best to, to go somewhere else and uh, whatever, sit out a year, or do some kind of graduate transfer, whatever, it probably doesn't bode well for, for what – what you believe the your impression is on that staff? I, I think a lot of a lot of Tennessee fans have this impression that that Kirkland is automatically and immediately going to be the late 2015 freshman version of himself when he was really good, yep. and that's not even you know there there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. It could happen, and if it does, that'll make Tennessee's defense that much better because you'll have three quality players and you won't have any sort of a drop off if you're rotating those guys in there. Um, can Kirkland get back to that? I have no idea. He's going to be rusty. He's got to stay healthy. He's had a history of injuries at Tennessee, whether it be his ankle, his knee. He had a, he had a torn pectoral muscle that probably cost him, you know, probably kept him from being a day one starter his freshman year. So, yep. um, and I just I think the staff really likes Sap. I think he showed a lot in spring, and I think Batuli is their kind of guy too. He he's he can be sort of the in the box thumper of a linebacker so that, he that, and Sapp, that they have. He and Sap don't miss tackles. They don't, you know, they're, they're they're solid tacklers. And my question is is we we just touched on this that you know they're going to be in the nickel a lot, so they're going to they're going to have two linebackers out there. Which two are they going to pick? Because they're going to pick their best two. They're not going to pick one. They're not going to. That's how they're going to make the selection. Yeah. And my other question is is when they do go three four, is there a scenario where they get? Sap Kirkland and Batuli on the field. That was my that was my very next point. Uh, honestly, it was what was that was that I think if <laughs> if you're looking at if you want to put your best eleven on the field and you are convinced you need to put your best eleven on the field when you can when it makes any kind of sense, will there be a time where they just kind of say, "All right, in some packages, move Sap outside and have or, or move Kirkland outside and have all three of those guys on the field together." They've not. To this point, we've not heard anything about them doing that, but I just – to me, it's one of those things that you take a step back, you know, go a few thousand feet up, look down, and say, what are they going to do? I think it makes a lot of sense that they would try to come up with some way in some packages to get all three out there. But maybe they haven't done it because Kirkland's not been available to do it to where True. they feel confident enough for him to be one of those inside backers because I think Batuli would probably be the guy that moves – sort of be on the line and be the same guy, I would think. Yeah, the way Bama's done it is that the – and I don't mean this is the way Tennessee's going to do it, but at Bama, the mic – And the will are the two inside yeah, guys. Yeah, and the mic almost never leaves the field, almost never. Um, maybe, maybe the will shifts over to play mic when you're in that, in that uh, dime package, but usually the mic – you have one guy who almost never leaves the field. And then you have other linebackers who don't leave as much, but they will sometimes, but the mic – has been the guy who calls the defense and the guy who usually stays out there. And, and that is where people wanted Kirkland to be the guy because he is an exceptionally smart kid. He will get everybody where they need to be. But will he be enough of a thumper in there by himself in those situations? And that that's a fair question whether he can do that. And this is Batuli's third season. Uh, this is Sapp's fourth season. These are not dumb kids either. So someone's got to emerge 
as kind of their uh, their leader there in that linebacker group and a guy who they say, all right, if you're healthy, you're the guy. You're the guy making all the calls. You're the guy getting all the checks in. And then we'll rotate the other guys in around you. And I don't know that they have – people want Kirkland to be that and people want Batulia to be that. I'm not sure that either one is that complete guy right now. So that's going to be a really interesting storyline, I think, to follow. And the offense gets the attention because everybody wants to talk about offense and because you're adding yeah. grad transfers at a lot of important positions, uh, offensive line, running back, quarterback, et cetera, uh, Juwan Jennings and all that all that drama and, and Trey Smith. I mean, there's so many storylines on that side of the ball and questions, but there's just as many questions and storylines defensively mm-hmm. because you hired a defensive-minded head coach, one of the best – uh, defensive coordinators over the last handful of years in college football. Uh, how much better are they statistically from last year with a lot of the same personnel? Uh, probably not as many new faces plugged in defensively. I don't know, maybe there are by the end of the year, but how much progress can they show and what does the future look like after you start to get a look at this defense and kind of what the bare bones of it is and what what can they build on? What do they show in year one? Yeah, and I think – you know, for the for the front seven, front six, whatever, Tennessee's got to find a way to fix this run defense because it's been bad the past two years. Yes. Um, and and you, you remember two years ago when they lost all their, their defensive tackles, they gave up like 400 rushing yards in like three out of four games or something like that. Last year, they on, on average, they gave up more rushing yards for the season than they did in 2016. So as bad as that run defense was at the end of that one season, it was worse last year. So they have to find a way to do that. And this defensive line is a huge question mark for me. I think it's a huge question mark for all of us. Um, and the other thing is they've got to get some some guys that can that can make plays that can be disruptive, whether it's sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, tip balls, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know that they have a lot of guys. They have a lot of guys I think that have the potential to be that that just haven't done it. And so that's going to have to be. Um, I don't know how you sort of change your mindset. Maybe you don't use a trash can to reinforce forcing turnovers. But we're going to have a Go Balls twenty four seven teammate I, trash can. It's there are works. It's in the works to update. Last season's Team 7 trash can maybe, to add a Team 8 trash can. Maybe you just – I don't know if you need to have some sort of – you just need to have that edge in terms of your mentality that we're going to go out and we're going to we're gonna be dogs and we're going we're gonna to force turnovers. We're going to yeah. get the ball back. Football, to me, there's a lot of stats, but I think football comes down to maybe three stats above all other stats. Um, I think it comes down to – Faith, hope, and love. Yeah, that's true. It comes down to turnover margin in, in a lot of games. It comes down to uh, red zone – Scoring efficiency, efficiency. Basically, that's the other one, and then the third one to me, and it's it's maybe not as easy to put this down to one stat, but you can you can look at it. But it's situations where everyone in the stadium knows that you're going to run, and you have to run. If you can stop a team from doing that, you're probably going to win. If you're an offense who can do that to the defense, you're probably going to win. If you have both, you're almost certainly going to win. That it comes down to when you ha- when the, when the other team has to run or when you have to run, can you get it? And to me, that's where Tennessee's run game and run defense have not been what they need to be, and that has been a huge factor in games. Is, is that Tennessee those run? You know, it, it just seems like when Tennessee has needed it either way in the run game, it's just not been there consistently the past couple of years. And good teams win in those situations. My favorite stat from last year was Tennessee was like, I think they were like top 10 nationally in pass defense because A, they played an option team that ran for almost 600 yards. Mm-hmm. B, they played a bad FCS team that threw maybe three passes 
mm-hmm. passed five yards downfield. Correct. And then everybody else just ran the ball on them. And they ran the ball on them and were up three touchdowns and didn't have to throw. <laughs> yeah. That's just that's the reality of it. So, um, yeah, I just they need they need to have more guys. They need more Derek Barnett's. You need to be able the to guys that can not necessarily they don't have to take over a game like Barnett can, but they can impact a game and change a game, like like he could. And now he's he's at a whole different level from from anybody they've got. But they can, they have some guys there that could be potential playmaker game changer types. You know, Todd Kelly was one of those guys. We he showed that ability in earlier in his career. Can you do it now? I have no idea. Yeah, when it's third and one and the other team is running the ball or third and two, most of the time you have to concede that the odds are stacked very much in the offense's favor in those situations. But when you're in third and three and third and four, third and five, and the other team's going to run the ball, you've got to stop them there. And if Tennessee can't, if Tennessee continues to be a defense that can't stop you there, Tennessee's going to have to score 40, 50 points to win football games because it's just hard to. Offenses are good nowadays, and when you have a chance to get them off the field, you've got to get them off the field. And I don't know if Tennessee's going to be able to do that. I'm interested to see how Jeremy Pruitt handles struggles. I mean, he – you look at his past ten years, what, five titles. uh, Nobody has Alabama's personnel. Obviously, this Tennessee roster doesn't have anything close to – Or the Florida State team he had. Florida State, Georgia, I mean – He's so used to uh, winning in his past. How does he handle a defense that's going to struggle at times just because of the personnel problems, uh, a team that's going to struggle at times? It's going to be interesting uh, to watch how he ha- – and he, he's doing that as a first-time head coach. How does he manage uh, those struggles? How does he – I mean – How many holes will be punched in walls? <laughs> right. You're, I mean, you're talking day-to-day <laughs> just management. How do you get through a season where you haven't really experienced any of this stuff before? I think that's going to be fascinating. It really is. Last thing before we get out of here, we did this with the offense. We'll do it again with the defense. And by the way, in case you're wondering, you're like, wow, this is the longest Ryan's ever been quiet in his entire life. It's because he had, we killed him. It's because we killed him. <laughs> and uh, he had to. R.I.P. Ryan. He had to. He had buried to, in a shallow grave he in had West's to backyard. Take off. Next to the groundhog. And again, this is what we say. Listen, Ryan, if you'd been here when we started and we started on time, you would have had time to finish the podcast. Or, don't have, noted. or don't have kids. But yeah, then again, Grant too. has kids, and he's here. That yeah. was my mistake. And where was he? Where was he today? On time. 11 a.m. recording. Who's there sitting in the driveway at 11 a.m.? Was, was he really here? Were you really here at 11 a.m.? Or did you uh, show up at like 11.04? I get here on time. I looked out the window at like 11.01, 11.02, and his car was in the driveway. So That's how alphas do their business. Basically. But he, here's where Tennessee was last season. Scoring defense, which again, scoring defense, sometimes you the, the other team gets a pick six or a special teams turnover. This counts against you. It really shouldn't, but for the stats, it does. Ultimately, Tennessee last season allowed 29.1 points per game, and that was good enough for 83rd nationally, so out of 130 teams. So if Tennessee allowed 29.1 points per game this season, where do we see things this season? Well, it's weird. It's hard to predict that because I was looking uh, – I was double-checking something I said earlier about South Carolina's defense in 2016. And in 2015, they were the wor- – they, they uh, were 14th. That's last in the SEC in scoring defense. Next year, they were eighth. But they really only improved by, like, one or two points. Yeah. So that can fluctuate from year to year, especially in this league. Uh, you almost have to look at, you know, the personnel, all that kind of stuff. So let's uh, okay. We can toss out the ranking, but last season okay. it was twenty nine point one points allowed per game. Do we see that getting better? Do we see that staying the same? Do we see that getting worse? 
Um, I would say a little bit better. I would say around 27, 28. Yeah, I think somewhere. I think somewhere in the. And they could actually be better defensively. I I see somewhere in the twenty six to twenty eight range probably. I'll go twenty five point nine. Twenty five point nine last season would have put them sixtieth nationally. However, if they had been twenty five point eight, they would have been fifty sixth nationally. Math, math. I'm really, really good at math. I mean, do, do we see this team? I, I think does it does this defense look better than it did? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it can't look much worse. But I mean, we've seen that transition and how much. How difficult. Now let, let's not let's not pretend that Jeremy Pruitt and Sal Sincerio are one and the same. Let's not let's not do that. The the differences in the uh track records before coming to Tennessee was was night and day with those guys. But we know the transition can be tough. But I think Pruitt is a more pragmatic guy. I think he will play what he needs to play with what he has. You know, I, I think maybe he knows that what he wants to build will not look like what it will look like this season because I think he will try to transition it a little bit and match up guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they will – you know, the stats may not bear it out differently, but I think this is a defense that will find a way to keep game, keep games close, whether it be turnovers, whether it be red zone defense, whether it be just be getting off the field on third down. That's something that I don't think Tennessee was very good at the past two years either. And you've got to find a way to either get pressure on the quarterback or find a way to cover on the I back just, end because I, they just – the cornerbacks, that's just that – to me, every time I look at that situation at corner, I go, oh, oh that's bad. I, I think the defensive – I think the situation on the defensive line is worse, honestly. I really? Mean, then yeah, corner? I, I think well, – See, I, I like I the, I like the number of decent guys they have up front. I don't know how many game changers they have, but I like the number of decent, solid, average players they have there. Well, I just I, – again, I think I'm probably – Giving the benefit of the doubt to to Pruitt and the staff that they can turn chicken crap into chicken salad that's not compl- that doesn't taste very good. Lemon, but into it's lemonade but it's good enough for the family listeners. Out there. Yeah, <laughs> lemon lemon. I didn't say the word. Lemons and sweet tea for your honor, Palmer's. I think they'll trend the right direction just because. But I don't think they're going to be like allowing twenty one mm. points a game. <laughs> that's not gonna happen. no, but they can be better without being that level of. Good. And I think, I think can... you can trend the right direction and show progress moving forward because you've been too good of a defensive coach over the years not to. So they can be adequate. Yeah, and adequate would be a step up. Yeah, it would. Actually, bad in some cases would be a step up, especially on offense. Also but... not false. Offensively, less bad would be a step up. I think not false is probably the closest I can get to truth. You're like, Wes, what you're telling me is not true, but it's not technically false either. I think that's the closest I can get. (laughs) Thanks for listening this week, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in. If you missed the offensive podcast, that was the day before, so that would have been Thursday. You can go back and check that out. Voice crack, Greg Brady. Did it crack? Oh, yeah. That was a crack. That's unfortunate. Hey, guys. Our little West is becoming a man. Aww. No, because I was at uh, was at Swain's house for dinner this week, and he kept counting. Name dropping. Name drop. We did a show together for years, jerks. And uh, he show kept – We were sitting there in the middle of the table and he go, for dinner, and he goes, man, when would your, your hair get so gray? Like, you don't have any. You're bald. you can, you got to shut up right now. 
Anyways, I am getting old, but apparently not too old to where my voice can crack a little bit. We'll be back next Good week, story. and we'll have real football to talk about. Pat, any final thoughts? No. 